Well, back in March of 2015, New York Magazine published an article that was entitled, 17 Things We Know About Forgiveness. Although some of the observations were fairly obvious, there was a lot of fascinating information in the article that was at least new to me. For example, I was surprised to learn that the scientific literature on forgiveness only dates back to 1989. That was surprising to me. I would have guessed it would have gone back much further. Another surprise to me was learning that forgiveness comes easier to younger children. Describing this phenomenon, the author explained that there's a marked difference between how readily an eight and a nine-year-old forgives when compared to their 10 and 11-year-old counterparts. Another surprising claim made in the article was that grudges, get this, can literally weigh you down. That's right, according to a study conducted at Erasmus University, participants' ability to jump high was significantly impeded when they were thinking about their grudges. In other words, participants that were ruminating on things they had not forgiven actually jumped significantly lower than participants who were focusing on a time when they extended forgiveness to another. But by far, my favorite fact in this article was that scientists observed behavior in many different animal species that really shows they want to make peace and experience something like forgiveness. Primates like monkeys, mountain gorillas, and chimps were found to often follow confrontations with friendly behavior, like embracing or kissing. Isn't that crazy to think about? It's true. Scientists have also observed similar kinds of behavior in other animals like goats and hyenas. And in fact, the only species that has failed to show outward signs of reconciliation is that of cats. <laughs> it's true. When they wrong you, they don't really care. They just kind of clean themselves and go on with their day. You know, make of that what you will, all you cat lovers out there. Well, today, as we continue in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be exploring this whole issue of forgiveness. And although our passage for today is only two verses long, these two verses are about as weighty and challenging as anything Jesus ever taught. So if you have your Bible today, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, where we will glean three implications from today's passage, beginning in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, the Lord Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Notice, for if you forgive others their trespasses. Now, when Jesus says, if you forgive others their trespasses, what other conclusion can we come to other than our first implication this morning? And that is this. Forgiveness is possible. Jesus implies the fact that forgiveness is possible. You know, unless you've been living on a stranded island somewhere all by yourself, all of us have had to grapple with this whole idea of extending forgiveness to others since our youngest ages. 
Perhaps it was someone mispronouncing your name or misspelling your name that you had to forgive when you were in kindergarten. Maybe you've had to forgive people that took the last slice of pizza without checking with you. Or maybe if you grew up with siblings in the house, perhaps you've had to deal with forgiving those siblings when they fail to replace the toilet paper roll in the bathroom. Whatever the case, with these sort of small offenses, it's really kind of a walk in the park to forgive. I mean, let's be honest. When we're forgiving small, occasional offenses, it's kind of a breeze to forgive others. But the kind of forgiveness Jesus calls his followers to demonstrate is a bar above that. You see, Jesus doesn't expect us to just forgive occasional offenses. Rather, he calls us to something much higher. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, we read this following passage where there's an exchange between the apostle Peter and the Lord Jesus. It says, Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, which Peter was feeling pretty good about. Jesus said to him, no, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. And the point there is not that at 78, you don't have to forgive any longer. Rather, what the Lord Jesus is teaching Peter and teaching us as his followers today is that when it comes to forgiving, we are not to place limitations on our forgiveness. We are not allowed to have a three strikes and you're out rule. Pretty much all of us, Christian or non-Christian, can demonstrate that kind of forgiveness. Jesus raises the bar here initially by saying, hey, not only are we to forgive occasional transgressions, we're to kind of forgive them no matter how often or frequently they occur. Even if someone were to sin against you in the exact same way, 77 times in one day, that is the standard of forgiveness and the bar that I am setting if you want to be my disciple. But it gets even more challenging than that because Jesus sort of raises the bar two times here. He not only raises the bar by saying, not only should we forgive people that frequently sin against us, he also teaches in his word that we are to forgive people that offend us in huge ways and, and we are to forgive people both whom we like and people we don't like. In the book of Colossians, in chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, we read this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bear with one another. And if someone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Pause for a second there. Notice he doesn't qualify it. He doesn't say if people you like or your closest friends or your closest relatives people whose company you enjoy, if they sin against you, forgive them. There's no qualifier here. Rather, he says, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive. And then he says this, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Jesus takes this business of forgiveness and raises the bar a couple of different times here. He says we're to forgive limitlessly, we're to forgive no matter who sins against us, and we're to forgive both small, medium, and large transgressions in our lives. Think about how difficult that is. No matter who does it, 
no matter how frequently they do it, no matter the size of the offense, he calls us to practice forgiveness. Let's get real for just a moment this morning and ask the question, is that possible? Is it even doable what Jesus calls us to do here? Do we have it within ourselves to extend forgiveness to anyone who wrongs us, no matter how much they wrong us, and no matter how profoundly they have wronged us? Is that even possible? The reality is there are people here today that have fresh wounds, recent pain. There are others that are here today that are carrying with them pain from years or decades ago. But the wrongs that they have suffered were so profound, so life-altering, that when you hear me say something like we're called to forgive no matter who it is, no matter how frequently, and no matter how big the offense, you think to yourself, you have got to be kidding me. I know some of you are here thinking, I've tried, and I know that I know that I know that no matter how much I might want to forgive this person, it is simply impossible. I don't have the power. I don't have the capacity to forgive that person or that action. And you know what? You're absolutely right. The reality is when it comes to these life-altering sins against us, we do not have the power or the capacity to forgive others. But the good news is God can provide that power for us. In Romans chapter eight, verses 11 through 12, the apostle Paul talks about the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit that resides in each and every genuinely born again, heaven-bound person, and this is what he says. He says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Think about that for a moment. That same Holy Spirit that was powerful enough to raise Jesus's corpse from physical death lives in you if you are a child of God. And he goes on to say, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, just as the Holy Spirit was powerful enough to raise a dead physical body, so too this same spirit lives within you. And really the point that the Apostle Paul is making here is simply this. If the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to raise the physical body of the Lord Jesus Christ, then it is powerful enough to give us the spiritual life that we need to do things we once could not do, like forgiving deep, life-altering, painful wounds that we have suffered at the hands of others. Amen. Forgiveness by the power of the Holy Spirit, according to Scripture, is possible. Well, I want to stay in this verse for just another moment because our second implication today also comes from verse 14. I'm going to reread Matthew 6, 14, and then we'll see our second implication this morning. It's a short verse, Matthew 6, 14. We just read it. Let's hear it again. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Second implication this morning is this. Forgiveness is reasonable. For the child of God, 
for those that have been forgiven of their sins through the Lord's death on the cross, forgiveness is reasonable. In Matthew chapter 18, we have this parable illustrating forgiveness and how vertical forgiveness should really inform our horizontal forgiveness. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says. He says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him, that is one of the servants, who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, by the way, that would be like saying someone owed trillions of dollars or the entire national debt of the United States. It's, a, it's almost a comically high amount of money. So this king begins to settle his accounts with his servants, and this one servant owed him 10,000 talents, zillions of dollars. Verse 25, and since he could not pay it, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and for payment to be made. Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Verse 27, out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. I don't know about you, but I'm not too current on what a denarii is worth in US dollars. So let's break it down and think about this a little bit to make it a little more concrete for us. The amount described here that the fellow servant owed the first servant would be about three or four months of wages. About three or four months of wages. And best I can tell, when you look at the capital district, if you look at median household income, I think the figure I found for median household income in the capital district was something like $78,000 a year. So let's just go with that for the sake of illustration. The servant that was forgiven zillions had a fellow servant that owed him, let's say it was twenty dollars to $25,000. Now take a moment, think about that. Twenty dollars to $25,000 is no insignificant amount of money. The point here is not that the messed up stuff we do to each other is trivial or unimportant. No, twenty dollars or $25,000, if you owe Matt Saxon that much money, I want to see that twenty dollars to $25,000. That's a significant amount of money. The point here is not that the fellow servant didn't owe much or that he hadn't wronged him much, but rather the point is this. When you look at twenty or twenty-five dollars and compare that to zillions of dollars, it's ridiculous that this servant that was forgiven such a huge debt turned around and tried to nickel and dime this fellow servant who owed him so little. The book of Ecclesiastes is an interesting book. It's an easily misunderstood book, but it contains such great practical earthy wisdom. Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verses 21 through 22 says this. Think about this if you're a parent or if you're a boss, perhaps. It's pretty funny and very earthy. We're told there, don't pay attention to everything people say, or don't pay attention to what your employees say too much, or don't be eavesdropping. Don't pay too much attention to what people say. Well, why not? Well, otherwise, you might hear your servant cursing you, and you know in your own heart that you have cursed others many 
times. Don't you love that? We're told, don't be eavesdropping, don't be listening in on too many conversations because you might hear someone talking a little bit of trash about you. Don't do that and get all bent out of shape because you know you're in the same boat. We have all done some trash talking throughout the course of our lives. And that really, I think, kind of helps us understand the rationale here as to why forgiveness is in fact reasonable. We're in the same boat. It's a fellow servant owing another servant. Everyone here today knows what it's like to have done someone wrong, to have failed in some way, and to have needed forgiveness. And since so many of us have experienced so much forgiveness of others, it should not be unreasonable for us to forgive others as well. Quick point before we move on to our third implication, and that is simply this. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. Reconciliation and trusting someone may not be reasonable in your particular circumstance. But if you are a child of God and you have had all your sins forgiven, this God who created us and gave us taste buds to enjoy good food and gave us ears to enjoy music and gave us the gift of laughter and friendship and the beauty of nature, and we all turned and rebelled, and yet he didn't wipe us out. Instead, he pursued us and sent his son. If God can forgive that kind of an offense, then it's reasonable that we can forgive the offenses of others. Restored trust and reconciliation might not always be reasonable, but if you've been forgiven through Christ's work on the cross, forgiveness is always reasonable. Our third implication this morning comes in verse 15. There, Matthew chapter 6, verse 15, it says, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And here we receive our third implication in the text this morning, and that is simply this, Forgiveness is of critical importance. Forgiveness is of critical importance. As I was reading different commentaries and sort of summaries and takeaways from these two verses today, I wanna share a couple of comments that I'm gonna quote verbatim to you. These are what some people have said or the big idea that Jesus is getting after or these are sort of summaries or takeaways from our verses this morning. The first quote is this. Hey, if you wanna know what these verses are about, verse 14 and verse 15 in Matthew chapter six, quote, as we forgive others, we will experience a deep and powerful sense that we are forgiven. That's the summary statement for what Jesus is getting at here. Another statement said, we are totally forgiven no matter how imperfectly we forgive others. But Grace Fellowship, let me ask you a question this morning. Is this what... Jesus is really getting at here? I mean, when you read these verses, do you think to yourself, boy, I really feel like Jesus is trying to comfort me. He's trying to soothe me. He's trying to put me at ease as it relates to forgiving others. 
Listen to the verses again. Answer it for yourself. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. He can't be any more plain than this. The Lord Jesus Christ says, if you forgive others their trespasses, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And he states it negatively, just so we don't miss the point. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I don't know about you, but that does not read to me as a passage of consolation and soothing and comfort, but rather it is a challenge and it is a warning that the Lord gives his followers. Jesus is issuing here what I think is sort of a grab you by the shoulders wake up call where he says, if you are one of my children, make sure that you know how serious it is that if you have received this vertical forgiveness that you also realize there are some strings attached and you have an obligation to forgive others as well. But some of you might say, well, hold on. We're not saved by works, right? We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. We're called grace fellowship, not works fellowship, What's this whole idea of I gotta forgive people to not go to hell? I gotta forgive people to make it into heaven. I thought all of our righteousness was like filthy rags in the sight of God. I mean, don't you know about Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through nine? There it's crystal clear. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So what are you talking about? We're saved by grace. This forgiveness business isn't all that serious. Well, to be clear here, I do not believe Jesus is saying, unless we automatically and perfectly forgive others the first chance we get that we're going to hell. I don't think he's teaching that, okay? Let me say that again. I do not think Jesus is teaching unless we perfectly and instantaneously forgive others, then we are going to hell. That is not what he is saying. But he's saying something. He's not talking to hear himself speak. He's got something in mind, some desired effect for his hearers when they hear a strong warning like that. Commenting on this passage, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, the man who knows he has been forgiven only in and through the shed blood of Christ is a man who must forgive others. And if you are refusing forgiveness to anybody, I suggest that you have never been forgiven. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 gives another invitation and warning. There we read, brothers and sisters, make every effort to be sure of your calling and election. Well, what's that talking about there? Well, the apostle Peter is saying, if you call yourself a child of God, if you believe that you've been born again, if you claim to be heaven bound, if you believe that your sins are forgiven, then there should be times in which you engage in some reflection and introspection and make sure that that's true. We see a similar warning given by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse five, puts it this way. 
writing to Christians, he says, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. And the whole idea here is that it is appropriate for those of us who are saved by grace through faith to occasionally take some spiritual inventory and ask, does my life seem to be growing to look more like that of Jesus or not? I'm not talking about getting silly with this and every time we sin or every day doubting our salvation. That's not what we're talking about here. But we're talking about a periodic kind of check-in where we go, am I really seeming to demonstrate more of the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Am I actually born again? Whether it's in a small group or in your personal reading through the Bible, I wanna caution you when you come across these warning passages, when you come across these kind of scary, really challenging passages, these hard sayings of Jesus, I wanna encourage you to let them have their desired effect because they're there for a reason. They're there to help light a fire under us. They're there to invite self-examination and introspection and reflection. Because the reality is, according to Jesus, there's gonna be a day of judgment where many people are gonna say, Lord, Lord, and he's gonna say, depart from me, I never knew you. And there might be people here in this room or online or hearing my words that you think you're a Christian, you believe you're a Christian, but you've never actually genuinely been born again. And if that's you, let me tell you, dear friend, it's better to realize that now when you can do something about it than to realize that when you stand before the judge of all the earth and it's too late to do so. If we're gonna take Jesus at his word here, it's clear, forgiveness is of critical importance. And if we claim to have been forgiven, we must be committed to forgiving others. Well, in our last few minutes here this morning, I simply want us to turn a corner and begin to look at some practical tips that might help you get unstuck if you're having a difficult time forgiving someone. It's my belief we all struggle with extending forgiveness at one point in our lives or another. And Sometimes it can just be paralyzing and discouraging to feel stuck. Maybe you realize Christ calls us to forgive, but I just don't know what to do next. I'm stuck. Well, let me suggest to you five action steps you can take to help you get unstuck if you're struggling to forgive. First is this, allow yourself time to mourn. Allow yourself time to mourn. Ecclesiastes chapter three Verses one through four say this. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. This is the human experience, folks. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. And if you're here today and you have just recently been betrayed, done wrong, hurt, or if it happened years or even decades ago, but it was life altering, it cost you a fortune, it cost you your family, it cost you a career, it cost you your health, whatever it might be, if you're having trouble forgiving, let me suggest to you, 
Take time to mourn. Don't pretend it wasn't a big deal. Don't pretend it wasn't horrible. Don't pretend it wasn't excruciating. Allow yourself to mourn and grieve the hurt that happened to you. Oftentimes, I think we get stuck because we sort of just jump right over this step and maybe we try to work through forgiveness through just determination and you know, self-discipline. But the reality is oftentimes, this is the first step I think of it as a step of pre-forgiveness. If we're struggling to forgive something someone has done to us, sometimes the best place to start is by allowing ourselves to mourn. But that brings us to our second step today, and that is this. As you are mourning, do not take your eye off the ball. I don't know how many of you have ever done much gardening or spent time in the yard, but it's amazing how quickly weeds can grow. And if you don't notice them for a few days or a few weeks or a few months, it can be unbelievably challenging to uproot those weeds. But on the other hand, if you notice those weeds early on, they're pretty easy to deal with. The more you wait, the more you punt on weeding the yard, the more difficult it becomes. Well, God's word tells us it's much the same way when it comes to forgiving Others. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, we're told, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. If you're dealing with a fresh wound, or one that happened years ago that was so profound and life-altering that you still need to mourn that, by all means, mourn it. But don't punt on being committed to the process of forgiveness. Because the reality is, in the same way, the longer you ignore a weed, the harder it is to remove. The longer you delay working through the process of forgiveness, the more a root of bitterness becomes implanted in your heart and the harder it becomes. Do not take your eye off the ball when it comes to forgiveness. Third, ask God to give you the willingness to forgive. Ask God to give you the willingness to forgive. I've I've been here before, perhaps you have, where, okay, I know Jesus has forgiven me. He teaches me to forgive others, but I don't wanna forgive that guy. That guy's a jerk. I don't even wanna forgive him. I know I should, but I do not desire to forgive him. And then you could feel just sort of stuck. What do you do? Well, the good news is God can help us. We can turn to him through prayer and ask him to give us the willingness, the want to, to forgive others. And believe it or not, he can actually deliver on that. Philippians chapter two, verse 13 says this, speaking about the Holy Spirit. God is working in you, that is through the work and person of the Holy Spirit, if you're a child of God. God is working in you, and how does that happen? He gives you the desire to do what pleases him, and he also gives you the power to do what pleases him. Please don't miss that today. Oftentimes, we encounter the teachings of Jesus, and we think, I know I should do this, I believe he's the son of God. I believe his words are true, but I just don't wanna do that. And since I don't wanna do it, I guess I'm simply stuck here. No, the Holy Spirit works in us 
to not only give us the power to be obedient, but to change our wills, to change our desires, to give us a new frame of mind, a new perspective, to help us want things we used to not want and to not want things we used to want. If you're having trouble even finding the desire to forgive another, I would encourage you to pray to God and ask him to give you that desire that he can give according to scripture through the Holy Spirit. Fourth, remember that eventual forgiveness is better than no forgiveness. Eventual forgiveness is better than no forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 31, Jesus tells this parable. Matthew 21, 28 through 31. What do you think about this? A man with two sons told the other boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will go. But he didn't go. And then Jesus asked this question of his audience, which of the two obeyed his father? And they correctly replied, the first. If you've been nursing a grudge for years or decades for something profound or petty, and you wonder what difference does it make at this point in time if I forgive them, too much time has passed, I've missed my window. I want you to know God doesn't see it that way. According to this, eventual obedience is far better than permanent disobedience. Remember, God is way more concerned with your future than he is your past. And eventual forgiveness is far better in the sight of God than no forgiveness at all. Fifth and finally today, if you're struggling with forgiving someone else, I just wanna encourage you, don't crucify yourself when you experience boomerang forgiveness. But what do I mean by boomerang forgiveness? Well, you know what a boomerang does, right? You throw it out and it returns to you. Have you ever had that happen with extending forgiveness to somebody where you believe you have forgiven them and maybe weeks or months or even years go by and yet you encounter someone, you go to some place, you see some date, whatever it might be, and then it all just sort of collapses in on you and you sort of rescind your forgiveness and take it back? Well, if you've ever been there, it can be kind of discouraging because you wonder, well, did I forgive them before? Was I kidding myself and I haven't forgiven them? If I forgave them, why am I upset now? Listen, instead of going through all of that torture to yourself, don't crucify yourself if you experience boomerang forgiveness. Instead, pray something like this from your heart to God. Say, Lord, I confess I have rescinded my forgiveness. Help me this day to forgive again. Don't let it get you bent out of shape. Recognize some wounds, some betrayal, some hurts in life are so profound that you're gonna experience that boomerang forgiveness. So when it happens, don't crucify yourself. Grace Fellowship, in our passage this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ sets an extremely high bar as it relates to forgiving others, but he makes it clear and plain. He says, if you have claimed to have received vertical forgiveness, then you must extend horizontal forgiveness. According to the word of God, no matter what our emotions or experience might tell us, forgiveness is possible. Forgiveness is reasonable. 
and forgiveness is of great importance. Please pray with me. Father, no doubt there are people here today that find it hard to receive this message. And the reason for that is something is so deep, so fresh, so life-changing and altering, Lord, that they really need to go through the process of grief first. Father, there are others here that are struggling with finding the will to forgive. We've been hurt so deeply, we think, that it's just a travesty to extend forgiveness to him or to her. But Lord, when we look at the sins that people commit against us in light of the sins that we have committed against you, Lord, no matter how deep and hurtful others' offenses might be in our lives, they pale in comparison to what we have done to you. As a pastor told me, We've all done way more messed up stuff to God than anyone has ever done to us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the will and the power and the commitment and the trust in you that you can help us accomplish what you called us to do, which is to forgive as we have been forgiven. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.